week number one of a brand new series called Ouch! When we get it backwards, when we get it backwards. You know, when I was a child, I absolutely, like I guess most children, I loved getting things. The year was full of opportunities for people to give to me, and I loved it. So we have Christmas. That was the mother load of getting. I loved Christmas. I got lots of stuff. I still remember some of those things today. Um, and then close behind Christmas, um, as a second, and that would be my birthday. And my birthday was like, hey, that's, uh, that's Harley Day. <laughs> Everything got to be about me on that day. I loved it. All those gifts. Valentine's Day. Man, that was pretty awesome too. Usually I got to say, if you love me, what you going to give me? Give me some stuff. Give me some goodies. Give me that heart full of candy. Give me uh, something full of candy. I loved Valentine's Day. Easter was a good day basket full of goodies. Thank you, bunny. It was great. Halloween was a wonderful day. Get in my bucket. I got to get all the free candy I wanted. And every once in a while, I know it happened at least once, my buddies and I went up to a house and they were gone, but they had a bowl full of candy. We did. It was wrong, I know. <laughs> that was before people had security cameras, but we took it all. It was delicious. Um, so Halloween was even a good day. And every once in a while, if I was fortunate for some reason, even when I didn't expect something, someone might give me something just out of the blue. And I, 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 I loved to get things. Sometimes, well, sometimes they would even ask me, Harley, what do you want me to get you? for your birthday or maybe maybe for Christmas or something. They would ask and I got to actually tell them, "Get me this." Woo! <laughs> it was great. What a life. <laughs> now, Cole, that was me. <laughs> that was me. Um, and for just a moment, I'm going to step aside over here. Like, no, to I get mean, you're things. not. We all love to get things. Of course, we all love to get things. Everybody loves to get things. I even have things under my tree right now. I mean, right? If you've got your Christmas tree, if you're not a Grinch, and if you haven't had your Christmas tree up uh, before Thanksgiving, you, you're a Grinch. I'm going to be honest with you. No, I'm just kidding. You're not. It's okay. But if, we've, got, we've got presents under the tree already. Sometimes we're not giving things or getting things. Sometimes we actually give. We are hoping that we're going to get something in return, right? I mean, that's why oftentimes we give is because we're hoping that we're going to get something in return. It's kind of that um, I'm going to scratch your back, you scratch my back mentality, right? Hey, Let's grease the wheels a little bit. Let's get things moving in the right direction. Let's, let's lubricate the gears a little. And let's get things moving in the right direction. So the eventual outcome is that I will receive something as a result. But ultimately, everything that we're doing is for the sole purpose of us getting something as well. And there's just something inside of us that drives us. I, it, and maybe I shouldn't say us. Maybe I should just speak from my experience. So that's what I'll do. There's something inside of me that drives me to want to just operate this way in all areas of my life. It happens at home. It happens at work. 
It happens with my friends. It even happens at church. I find myself uh, responding and reacting even inside a church. I ask questions like, you know, in my past, in my history, I've asked questions like, which church out there is best going to meet my needs? What does that church have out there that's going to offer me and my family? What can they offer me and my family? And everything ultimately becomes about me, what I want, and what they can do for me. Now, I may cover it up. I may try to hide it. I might try to, you know, put on a good facade. But at the end of the day, the root purpose is to try to figure out what I can get out of the situation. And that thinking, at least in churches, can often lead to, or lead to some very shallow commitments inside of those churches where it's kind of like, well, I'm in, kind of, I'm in for now until, you know, they, they no longer are meeting the needs that I perceive until, as long as they're meeting my needs, I'm in, I'm going to be here, I'm in for now. We kind of live in a what's in it for me culture. It's just the experience that we've grown up with. I, I'm not pointing fingers. If I'm pointing fingers, I'm pointing them at myself because I am at the top of the list. It's the culture that we've grown up with. We expect to get. We'll give in if we have to, and we'll give first if it means we're going to get something in the end. We've got this give-get thing out of order, and as a result, ouch. We've got it messed up. We've got it backwards, and God has a lot to say about it. And it's amazing. We don't have to look very hard to find places where God uh, talks about how we have gotten this give-get out of order. In fact, everywhere that, almost every page that you turn to in the New Covenant, you're going to find some illustration or some statement that alludes to this something that, again, I struggle with significantly. And we're going to start this morning, kind of our, our jumping off point, is it going to be from the book of Luke? Now, we're not just reading from the Bible this morning. Now, to me, this is pretty cool. A lot of times we make the statement, we're going to read from the Bible. But we're not just reading from the Bible this morning. We're actually reading something that was written by an individual by the name of Luke. And Luke was a physician who was a contemporary of all of the events that we're reading about. He actually lived during this time. He would have been a contemporary of all the individuals that would have actually been an eyewitness to them. And he, he would have gotten all of this information. He took copious detailed notes as a physician would. And he wrote it all down for us in a book named after him. So we're not just reading the Bible this morning. We're reading about events that actually happened in the life of a man named Jesus as written by a very detailed physician named Luke. Luke chapter 7. We're going to start in verse 36. This is what it says in verse 36. He starts out, one of the Pharisees. Now, we're going to hit the pause button several times throughout our verses this morning because it's important to understand that a Pharisee was a professional religious law follower. That's what they did. They followed the law and they followed it to the letter. They would have said, I'm righteous because I have done this. I have followed the law. Therefore, I'm righteous. And because I've done all of these things, I have the ability to judge you because you haven't. Now, there's this Pharisee. We're going to find out here in just a few minutes what his name is. But apparently, according to Luke, this Pharisee asks Jesus to have dinner with him. Now, in 2020, we may buzz past that because inviting someone over to dinner, while eh, it's important, it's a big deal, 
It was a huge deal in the first century because actually inviting someone to have dinner at your house uh, brought about it, uh, brought about, there would be an, be an implication of the expectation of repayment. If I invite you to dinner to my house, I am going to expect you to repay me in some way. There was a more significant cultural impact in the world and in the time that Luke is writing to and that Jesus is experiencing. So this Pharisee, this professional religious law follower, has invited Jesus to his house with the idea of, I'm going to get something out of this. So Luke tells us that Jesus went to his home and he sat down to eat. Now again, another cultural significant thing happens here that if we are not aware of it, we might miss. Because meal setting was significant. We don't think of it as being significant in the year 2020. We sit down around the table, and it's not that big of a deal. We might not even sit around the table. We might sit in the living room and watch television. I don't know how it is in your family, but sitting around the table is not as significant in 2020 as it is in the time that Luke is writing this. But in Luke's day and in the time that this is happening, meal sitting is important because it's actually open for others to learn in the environment. You see, not everyone would be invited to the meal. They wouldn't be an invited guest. Only invited guests would be allowed to really sit around the table, but just about anybody could just walk into the room, sit around the wall, and just listen, and just learn, kind of be a wallflower, right? Anybody could do that. That was culturally acceptable. You weren't an invited guest. You weren't important enough to sit around the table and really interact and really be a part of the meal and be a part of what was happening, but you could come in, sit around the wall, keep your mouth shut, and listen. Now, Jesus, of course, is an invited guest in the home of this Pharisee. Now, the table that they would have been sitting around more than likely would have been a U-shaped table in all likelihood, of course, Jesus would have been, uh, along with the, 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 uh, the Pharisee, would have probably been in a position of uh, significance at the table. They, everyone would have been around the table. They would have been probably laying at the table. Weird, I know. Can you imagine trying to eat, laying down? Uh, I mean, I'm there at the table for one purpose, and it is not to do a lot of talking. But that was different in this culture. They would have been laying at the table, probably on their left side. They would have had their feet angled away from the table and more than likely behind the person in front of them. So you kind of have a picture of what this looks like. Very different than an eating experience that we would have today. In this room, the invited guests sitting around this table, and the main purpose of this meal, honestly, was the conversation. It was the discussion. It wasn't the food. The food was a part of it. But the conversation and what was going to come out of the conversation, that was significant. And we continue on, verse 37. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there. Now, again, that phrase possibly doesn't mean a lot to us. We may blow past it. But in the culture that Luke was writing to, that phrase, um, a certain immoral woman, implies that this woman is a prostitute. The implication is she is a prostitute. And it says, Luke tells us that she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Very possible. This is her life savings. 
It's very possible. This is what she has put back for the security of her future. This is her best. This is the best she has. I mean, she has entered into this environment where she was not invited. She has entered into this environment with the absolute very best that she has to offer, according to Luke. Verse 38. Then she knelt behind him, speaking of Jesus, she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. She's crying. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. This would have been shocking. You say, well, yeah, of course this would have been shocking. No, in the first century, this would have been beyond shocking. Because first of all, this was a woman. And in this culture, this doesn't happen. Second of all, this was a woman, as I believe the phrasing that Luke uses here, a certain immoral woman. So this was a woman that was pretty low in an already low cultural standing. And not only that, Luke tells us that she uses her hair to clean the feet of this man that she has literally made his feet wet with her tears. That's a big deal. And then Luke tells us she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. This goes on. This is not just like a quick thing and moving on. This happens for an extended period of time, long enough for Luke to say she kept kissing his feet and putting that expensive perfume that could have possibly been her life savings, the thing that she had put aside for her entire future. She continues to do this. Now, in this culture that Luke is writing to, and that we kind of need to put ourselves in a little bit, this would have been so shocking. The only thing that I can think to compare it to today, and, and bear with me, is if a woman were to come into this room right now and would, were to take all of her clothes off strict and completely naked. Would that shock anybody? Probably. That's the only way that I know to compare what probably was going on in this room of invited guests. Remember, this woman was not invited. This woman had come in as the culture of the day allowed. This was shocking. When she let her hair down, and wiped the feet of Jesus, and then just kept on and on and on and would not stop. This was a shocking thing. This was a woman, a prostitute. And her hair, doing this with her hair, man, this is a big deal. Verse 39, and I think this is, this is pretty, pretty interesting to me. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, so kind of the, the, the man that's in charge of, of the meal, when he saw this, he said to himself, so he's having this internal dialogue now, right? We've all had an, in the internal dialogue when we see something going on. It's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that's happening. Oh my goodness. And, and you kind of look over at your wife or your husband or your, you know, your friend or whatever, and you look at him, you meet eyes, and you can, you're talking to one another, you know, and like, can you believe this? You know, the Pharisees having this internal dialogue, and he says to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him? She's a sinner. It's like he's saying, look, first of all, the fact that this is a woman. And the fact that it is a prostitute, if he knew, if he really, if this dude was who he kind of seeming to claim, who he's kind of seeming to claim who he is, he would know that. Verse 40, then Jesus answered his thoughts, because Jesus heard the whole thing. He's like, he's like, he's over there thinking, mm -hmm, I hear what you're saying. I got you. I got you. Just wait for this. I'm fixing to drop the mic on you. So Jesus hears his thoughts, and he says to him, he says, Simon, he said to the Pharisee. So now we know. Simon, 
I have something to say to you. Simon has no idea what's coming. He doesn't have a clue. He thinks he's just like fixing to enter into some, you know, interesting conversation with an invited guest. Simon, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher. Simon said, yeah, let me hear it. And then Jesus told him this story. It's how Jesus did a lot of his teaching in the New Covenant. He, he taught with stories. It was prophesied. Uh, it was said that the Messiah would come in the Old Covenant. It said, yeah, he's going to, this is the way this individual, he's going to teach with parables, with stories. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He teaches with stories. And Jesus tells a story. He says, a man loaned money to two people. 500 pieces of silver to one. Now, that would have been about a year and a half's worth of wages, so a significant amount of money. About 500 pieces, or excuse me, 500 pieces of silver to one, and 50 pieces of silver to the other. That would have been roughly a month and a half's worth of wages. A significant amount of money, but nowhere near a year and a half of wages, right? So 550. Verse 42, but neither of them could repay so he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. I mean, wow, <laughs> that's pretty awesome. Jesus says, hey, this guy, he loaned money to this one. He loaned money to that one, and he canceled both of those debts. And then Jesus asked a significant question to Simon. He says, who do you suppose loved him more after that? And I think Simon maybe thought about it for a second. He probably stroked his beard, you know, thought about it. He wanted to be, uh, you know, introspective about this. He wanted to give it some thought. And he said, well, I suppose, according to Luke, he said, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt, the 500, the year and a half of wages. And Jesus says, that's right. Duh. Of course. 500 is more than 50. I got that. I'm that good at arithmetic. Jesus said, of course, that's exactly right, Simon. You get the gold star. You're right today. Verse 44, then, and again, remember the kind of the, the environment that we're in here. We're in this room. We've got this table, and we have these invited guests, and we probably have people around listening, and, and, and you remember kind of the setting, the cultural setting that we're in now. And this woman is apparently still either... She's around Jesus. She may not be still actively uh, wiping his feet and, and, doing, and crying and weeping and, and doing the, with the perfume. She may not be actively doing that, but she is still right there in the vicinity. So it says that Jesus turned to the woman, but he says to Simon, I like that. He turns to the woman, but he's talking to Simon. He's talking to the Pharisee, but he's also talking to the other people around in the room and around the table. He's talking to me. He says, Look at this woman kneeling here, talking to this prostitute, this, this lady. It's like he's saying, Simon, look at her. Don't ignore her. Don't pass her by. Don't judge her. Don't overlook her. Get one way. Look at her. Look at what she's doing. Look at why she's doing it. This is happening. She's worth looking at. There is something very significant that you can learn from what is happening right here at this moment. It's like he's basically saying, Simon, I want to compare and I want to contrast her and you. I want you to see the difference between these two, you and this person, and how you have acted, how you have reacted, and how she has acted, and how she has reacted. And then he dropped off her. <laughs> Jesus says, when I entered your home, 
You didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, which was culturally practiced. That was somewhat expected. He says, you didn't do that. But she has washed them with her tears. Let's compare and contrast. Let's weigh these two things on the scales. You didn't even give me water. She used her tears to wash my feet. Then he goes on and he says, and wiped them with her hair. Not only did you not give me water to wash my feet, you didn't even give me a towel to dry them off. She sacrificed the absolute best she had in that culture. Remember, this is a female, a prostitute, culturally lower class. Her hair would have been the best of her culturally, and she used it to wash and dry the feet of Jesus. And he's comparing that with Simon not even having the willingness to offer a towel. Verse 45, you didn't greet me with a kiss. Again, that is culture, that's tradition, that's what they did. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she's not stopped kissing my feet. It's like Jesus is, again, comparing and contrasting this Pharisee with this, as Luke called her, immoral woman. You were supposed to kiss my head. You were supposed to greet me with a kiss. You were, this is what you were supposed to do as my host. But you didn't. You were self-indulged. You invited me for one reason. What can I get out of this meeting? She didn't just kiss my cheek. She actually knelt down, humbled herself, and kissed my feet over and over and over and over again. You, verse 46, you neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. Again, compare and contrast. Look at her and look at you. You didn't even give me the smallest amount of the most standard olive oil for my head. But here she is. She has come into a room where she was not invited as a woman, a prostitute, and she has not only given of herself, she has given in one act of love her absolute very best, her hair, this perfume that was possibly her life savings, everything that she had for her security and for her future. And again, she did it for my feet. I mean, we're not even talking about the same. These aren't even apples to apples here. We're not even on the same scales. Verse 47, I tell you, speaking to the Pharisees, speaking to Simon, I tell you, her sins, and I think this is interesting. I've blown by this verse a lot of times, I think, in the past. I tell you, her sins, there are, there are many like that. Jesus is like, her sins, and hey, don't misunderstand. I know her sins are many. She's got a lot of them, guys. I know her past. But then he says, they have been forgiven. See, the implication here is that Jesus and this woman have already met. We, we fall into a trap, I think, of thinking that every event that Jesus, his entire life was chronicled in, the, in, in, in you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and that's it, and he didn't do anything else. Well, more than likely, Jesus and this woman have met before. They already have a relationship. They have already interacted. This woman was just coming back because she was giving of herself because she's already, she's already met Jesus at some point. The implication is he's already forgiven her, and she knows it. And so she is simply responding to that forgiveness. 
I tell you, her sins, there, there are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. She's forgiven, and as a result, she's just responding to that, and she is showing me much love. But a person who is forgiven little, now he's still speaking to the Pharisee, but, I mean, it, it's applicable. You know, that, yeah, okay, I messed up a little bit. I didn't have a great day. Missouri did kick another field goal as time expired to beat us. It, you know. It's not being a prostitute, though. Or a murderer. So on and so forth. We've all, well, I'm not a murderer. I mean, we'll even take it a step further. We'll even go, well, I'm not a serial killer. <laughs> you know, I mean, like that's worse, I, I guess. I, maybe it is. I don't know. For those that have been forgiven little, shows only a little love. It's kind of like, well, there you have it, Simon. Verse 48, and then Jesus, he takes his attention away from Simon. He's like, okay, I'm, I'm kind of done with you now. This conversation's over. And he goes back to this woman, bottom of the cultural ladder, bottom of the bottom of the cultural ladder. And he says to her, just reminding her, your sins are forgiven. And then verse 49, because, of course, this has to happen, right? The men at the table, the men at the table said among themselves, who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? And then one more time in verse 50, Jesus said to the woman, reminding her one more time, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Yeah. So how do we get this so backwards is... Really, the topic of this series, at least from today's perspective. You see, we love because He loved us first. We don't love in order to get love. We have already been loved. E even if no one loved us again for the rest of our lives, even if no one loved us into eternity. Listen, we have already, God has showered so much love over us by what he has done that it's enough love to last us through eternity. We give because he first gave. We don't give in order to get. We give because He has already given to us. Even if we never receive another gift from anyone ever again, not even from God, we have already been given more than we could ever, ever deserve. And it's enough for all eternity because of what God has given us. And we serve because He served us first. He served first. So we don't, we don't serve in order for them to then do something for us and serve us. We don't serve so that we can be served in return. That's not the way it works. We serve because He has already served us. Even if we were never ever served again by anyone, and instead we find ourselves servants for the rest of our lives, we have already been served enough by God Himself. Enough for all eternity. So, 
We've already been loved by his best, so we give love. We have already been given his best sacrifice, and so we give. We have already been served with his life, so we in turn serve. You know, if I know, according to Jesus now, if I know that I have been forgiven much, Jesus says, I will love much. But if I think that I've only been forgiven a little, Jesus says, I will love little. And my friends, we live in a world today, a world of little love, expressed in little giving, but with great expectations of getting. How did we get it so backwards? December is not a month that is about getting. But think about it. What, what are we teaching our kids if on Christmas morning it becomes all about them? When they maybe just wake up and they just start receiving and unwrapping and getting and getting and getting and getting. And in some cases, they arrive at Christmas morning empty-handed. Maybe never giving themselves. And maybe if they do, maybe not even sacrificing really in order to give, just kind of grabbing something. I just wonder for just a moment, and I know this is ouch, just a moment, can we, can we stop fooling ourselves and admit that December 25th, today, really isn't about Jesus at all. It's about getting. And if you're like me, when you hear that, I recoil at that. Because we know December is about giving. It is about our God giving us what we could never, ever deserve and never, ever earn. He gave us Jesus. Here's a big point. Not only is December about giving, but according to Jesus, every single day of our lives is about giving. Jesus commanded us first, focus on God. Secondly, focus on the other people around us. And none of us really are to focus on ourselves. Because if we have submitted our lives to the care and the control of Jesus, 
We have already received God's best. And we have been forgiven of much. How did we get it so backwards? At home? At work? Among our friends? And even at church? As we look for a church that can, as Cole said, meet my needs. We think to ourselves, I need a church where I can really get what I want. Where I can get fed. Where I can get my needs met. Rather than, you know what? I found a church that needs what I have to give. an every single day thing. And I'm asking you, Stuttgart Harvest Church and the, the newly forming launch team of the church in Malvern, let's flip the script. And let's begin to get it right. We give. Because we already got His best. And we just simply want to be a people defined as a giving people. This sinner that we just read about, this sinner, she gave. She gave her time. She gave financially probably everything she had in that moment. She gave her self-worth regardless of what those other people were thinking in their minds about who she was and to them who she was, but for her who she had been. Regardless of what they thought, she did that act of giving anyway. And Jesus called that love. She loved much because she had been forgiven much. Simon or the sinner? Which one was more like Jesus, Simon or the sinner? Which one is more like us, Simon or the sinner? You see, Jesus really was not there at that meal to debate. Jesus really was just still in the process of training his 12 church starters. That's what he was doing. And he was training them as he was on his way to the cross, his ultimate act of love. And Jesus was just stopping off here by invitation for a meal on his way Toward the cross. It was a three-year journey. Not like he packed up and loaded, but he traveled village to village, town to town for three years, knowing he was headed to the cross. Stopped off here for a meal on his way to the cross, and he thought, here's another opportunity for me just to get a little more training in for these 12 guys. And that's what he was doing. So here we have God himself literally on the planet that he created, and God himself 
put on the flesh and the blood and the bone of man. So he put on this much lower form of existence, the limited flesh of man. And he did it so that God himself could give himself and die for the sins of the world. That is giving. That is God being all in. That is love. And that demands a response. So my question, as we end this morning, what is our response? Is it going to be a response that is like Simon, or is is it going to be a response that is like the sinner? My prayer is that we will say, God, Jesus, I'm all in. I'm breaking open the jar. Once that was broken open, she was all in. Saying to God, Jesus, I am all in. I am breaking open the jar. I am going to learn to love much. And here's the thing. This is not something we can force and say, oh, I just have to do better today. I got to love more today. Jesus said, no, 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 it doesn't work that way. Because once we realize we have been forgiven much, then it just happens. We love much. Or... Are we going to choose Simon's path and just be okay with loving little? And if we do, it's because Jesus says, hey, it's because ultimately we just think that that Jesus didn't really have to die for, he didn't have to go to that extreme for me. Uh, Maybe that person over there, maybe that person over here, yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe them Jesus needed to actually die for. But he could have done a whole lot less in order for me because I'm just just not that bad. So here's what we're asking you to do this week. Three things, actually. Here's the first. This week, will you open your Bible, either on your phone, your computer, or an actual paper Bible? Will you open your Bible and will you just simply read each day this week these few verses? Luke chapter 7 and verse 36, just through the end of this story. Just a, few, just a handful of verses. Will you just simply read those once a day this week, but don't end with just reading it. Would you then, after you read it, have a conversation with God about what He is telling you about yourself? Will you join us in doing that? That's the first thing we're asking. And while you're at it, here's the second thing. An added little upgraded challenge. While you're at it, maybe just go ahead one time. You don't have to do this every day. Just maybe one time this week. Would you go ahead and read those first seven chapters of that uh, book written by Luke in the New Covenant? Go ahead and read those first seven chapters because I think that this is a history of the life of Jesus. And I really think if you'll just read those seven chapters this week, at one point, 
I think you're going to find some really interesting things there about Jesus. And here's the upgrade number three challenge. At one point this week, will you go to the book of Romans, which is written by a guy named Paul? Would you go to that book in the New Covenant and would you read, let's say maybe the first three chapters of the book of Romans? And here's why. Paul does a great job of helping us understand how much we have been forgiven. Would you join us? Read this story every day this week. Would you then at one point read the first seven chapters of the book of Luke and then at one point would you read the first three chapters out of the book of Romans to help us understand we have been, if we've submitted our lives to the care and the control of Jesus, we have been forgiven much. Before I pray, we're getting ready to sing a song. And this song is all about praising thanking, edifying, giving all glory to Jesus, who is God, who came to die for the sins of the world. And He has made a way for us. And I just simply invite you. The words are going to be on the screen, I believe. Would you... Sing along with us as we lift high the name of Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, if you were to enter my home, I wonder if I would have offered you water for your feet. I wonder if I would have offered you a towel. I wonder if I would have washed them. I wonder if I would have greeted you with a kiss. Jesus, I want to be more like that sinner. I want to be more like her. And Jesus, I know my sins have been many. And I have been forgiven much. And may I in turn love much. May I not be a person who loves little Jesus. And it is in your glorious name that we pray these things, Jesus. Amen.